Hi. Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast, which I remind you once again is now on iTunes. So please subscribe, please. On this episode, we'll talk to Ryan Dick, the head coach of the Pemina Valley Twisters. They were down 4-0 in their championship game, and they won it. Wow. Incredible. What was that like? We'll find out. Also, Carrie Anderson, Manitoba curler. What does she think of her season now that it's almost over? Still have one event left in Russia. And Aaron Cocker, a local golfer. We check in with him. He's in Spain. How is he enjoying his time playing golf in Europe and around the world? You'll find out on the podcast. Last night in Morris, insanity! Game 7 of the McKenzie Cup Final, the last game of the Manitoba Major Junior Hockey League season, and the Twisters on home ice were down 4-0 to the St. James Canucks. And wouldn't you know it, Pemina Valley came back and won the game. Just crazy. To talk about the night that was, joined by Twisters head coach Ryan Dick. Ryan, what was it like? I mean, it was ecstatic. It was quite the game. We did it in dramatic fashion. Uh, we came back with five unanswered goals, and... Uh, and, you know, the boys, the boys really uh, never got down on themselves and kept battling, you know, and things started bouncing our way and uh, couldn't be more happy for the guys. I mean, they worked hard all year to, for the ultimate goal to raise the cup. And at the end, we uh, we got that goal and uh, the, the guys the guys celebrated accordingly. Was today a normal day? Well, I'm a little tired. It was... Uh, it was uh, pretty draining, uh, that game going down four goals and then coming back emotionally, you're up and down. Uh, so <laughs> today's a little tired, yeah. So have you ever been in that position before, down that much, uh, whether you're playing or coaching and being able to come back and win it? No, I can't say as a coach or as a player I've ever been in a position where uh, we've come back uh, from four goals and, and won a game like that. And let alone that it was just a game that you came down from four to win. This is game seven of the final that you did it. You know, this team all year, uh, we were very resilient. Uh, we came from behind and in a few games throughout the regular season. Maybe that helped here in the end that the that team knew that we were capable of coming back. I don't think we ever came back with four goals, but, you know, two or three goals in the last five minutes of the third period kind of thing. And, uh, and we pulled out a couple of victories like that, and maybe that's what gave these guys the belief and uh, that we could do it. I mean, in Game 7, your back's against the wall. Uh, you know that there's no more hockey left. Uh, nobody wants to go out like that, you know, our five 21-year-olds. And, and and for that matter, our whole team, all 23 guys are committed to, to winning this championship. And uh, to get blown out uh, wasn't acceptable. And, and as a group, we turned the page, and like I said, Things started going our way, and uh, luckily enough, uh, in the end, we were victorious. So when you're down for nothing, that fourth goal is scored by the Canucks, what is the attitude on the bench? What's the message? Well, I think we we got a little deflated. I don't think we were giving up, but uh, we called a timeout, and during that timeout, we just kind of reiterated what we kind of said between the first and second, like, let's get back to doing what we were doing, and and getting pucks deep and, you know, getting bodies to the net and, and picking up coverage coming back. You know, a couple, two of the goals were just completely picking up the wrong guy and a guy wide open in the slot. So, um, you know, we had to use our speed to our advantage and, uh, and you know, let's breathe here. Let's, it was like we were uh, in the first half of the game, we were just scared to make a mistake. And, it, and that, when you play like that, you're going to make mistakes. And we got back to playing a more aggressive style and uh, we got that, Travis got that first goal away 
kind of how we scored goals all year by pressuring D and creating turnovers with our speed. And then uh, TJ Matasevsky uh, scored a big one on the power play that kind uh, of, you know, he, he, we got pumped up. The crowd was going wild and the guys felt it after the first goal. We kept pressuring, pressuring, pressuring. And then uh, TJ pops out one on the power play. And uh, at that point, I think uh, there's no way the guys were not not going to give everything in their in their power to win the game. So Nick Hatley gets a goal, too, right before the end of the second period. So you go into the intermission, you're down 4-3. How did the energy change then from the timeout to the second intermission? Well, I think after we scored the third goal, or they called a timeout. And, uh, or no, it was after the fourth goal. But they came in, They started the third period. They are a little deflated. They got a couple of chances. Our goalie uh, kind of stood tall. Uh, we, we composed ourselves, and uh, we got another PP, and uh, our... <laughs> Affiliate player that was playing with us throughout the playoffs here, uh, he, he sniped a big power play goal for us, and uh, from there on, uh, we kind of we kind of put the foot on the gas, and they never really got anything going after that. And then you get the go ahead goal with uh, about what is it, eight and a half minutes left. How nuts did the rink go when that puck went in? Well, you couldn't hear yourself. Uh, even thinking there, I mean, you couldn't hear the whistles. You couldn't hear guys calling for passes. It's not the biggest rink. It, there's probably seven, seven hundred fifty people in there last night, and that's two, three deep on the glass, and the stands are right packed. So uh, it, it was nice. Uh, all playoffs, our fans are unbelievable. Uh, road games or home games, uh, noisemakers and uh, drums, and and they were behind us right from right from game one of the playoffs right to the end. And it was it was nice for the boys, and I think that's. Maybe, you know, what motivated them, what pushed them over the edge uh, when they got that first goal and the crowd went wild. They thought they saw how much how many people were behind them, and, and it was good. It was fun. And important to note that this Game 7 was forced because your team went into St. James Civic Centre and took Game 6-5-1, and the Canucks had a chance to win it that night. What did that say about the team, that with their back against the wall in Game 5 or Game 6, they were able to, to have such a, a strong win? You know, going into Game Six, uh, we basically played two Game Sevens, right? Uh, so, so we had already had our backs against the wall. We already knew what it was going to be like to, for hockey to be over if we didn't show up to play. And Game Six, the boys came out and they responded really well. They, we played probably one of our best games of the best sixty minutes of the season. We gave them nothing to the inside. One goal they got was a, uh, a blown coverage, and after that, they never really got any decent shots and. Uh, and we peppered their goalie, and their goalie, uh, he stood tall after we got the third one. I think he got a little deflated, and uh, we got two more after that to make it 5-1. But up to the point of the third goal, uh, their, their goalie was uh, stealing the game that, that game six. So take me back before I let you go to the start of the season. Was the expectation to be top team in the regular season and win the McKenzie Trophy? Our goal at the beginning of the season was to make top four, uh, finish top four. That's kind of always the expectation in Pemina Valley, um, and and whole and and whatever happens in the playoffs kind of happens. And the goal, but the goal was obviously to raise the cup. That's always the goal, and uh, we knew the year before was a rough year. There's there's a lot of extra stuff that kind of made it a different year, and uh, and we had a core group of guys that was. Uh, had an axe grind and they they were committed to to making a good run at it and uh, and we got four or five really good rookies that came in and 
filled in the holes and uh, you know our goalie Travis Clawson he played well all season uh, he had taken actually two years off hockey and uh, came back and helped us out last year and had an up and down season and this year he came he came more prepared and more in shape and uh, and and he was our rock all season back there in between the pipes. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight, and congratulations again on the big win. Thanks a lot, Christian. As we start into May, curling uh, really isn't top of mind for a lot of people. The Grand Slam of Curling's Champions Cup wrapped up this past weekend. Carrie Anderson squad coming in second, and they're now number three in the World Curling Tour standings. And their season isn't over as they'll be playing in an event in Russia later this month. So with all that in mind, I thought it'd be good to catch up with Carrie nearing the end of her first season with Val Sweeting, Shannon Burchard, and Brianne Mayer. Carrie joins me now from Gimli. And Carrie, is it weird to still be curling in May? It's really weird. Um, I've definitely never curled uh, in May before. And yeah, it's uh, it's been a long season. And I guess that's just the, the changing way of curling is that right now the season just keeps getting longer and longer. Yeah, for sure. The season um, used to start in October and end in February. <laughs> and now it's uh, yeah definitely getting longer um, and uh, becoming um, or having more spiels. Is that good for the game in the long run? I think so. I think it is good for the game. Um, definitely uh, prolonging it and um Thing, um, being able to have, be on the ice more is good. And it's obviously m- more opportunities to make money too. Yeah, um, it's definitely uh, um, an opportunity to make more money and uh, um, help out financial wise. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, you know, it's as much as we like to think that curlers are to some degree professional athletes, really they're not. And you've all got other things that you do in life, right? Yeah, a lot of us still have jobs outside of curling. So um, for me, I work at uh, Bettle Home uh, in Gimli, and I'm a rehabilitation assistant. And also I curl as my other job. And yeah, it's it's a challenge juggling both. Mm -hmm. But it's a balancing act that uh, really a lot of curlers have to get used to, right? Yeah, we uh, uh, definitely, um, if it wasn't for my family and um, my employer uh, being so supportive, I, I wouldn't be able to chase my dreams and do what I love. So now that you've, uh, you're nearing the end of this inaugural season with your, your current team, how would you say it's gone? There's obviously been a lot of ups and downs. Um. I think it's definitely been a phenomenal season for a team that is brand new, um, playing different positions. We definitely didn't um, expect this much success, and uh, we are so blessed to have been able to just get along so great and uh, really um, achieve um, some big goals. So what did you set out before the season as what you were looking to accomplish this year? Well, we were just kind of, when we put the team together, we just said, hey, like going into the season, we don't want to expect anything. We know we're all great throwers um, just to get that, um, bring that together. 
and I think we we really did uh, um, do that really well. We didn't want to expect too much. Uh, we just wanted to go out and have fun and learn each other and figure everyone's tendencies out. And we're even still learning now. It's 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 always going to be a learning curve every season. And we talked to you after the end of the the Manitoba. Scotties, and since then, there's still been a lot of curling that's been played. Right now, you're right near the top of the World Curling Tour standings. So after the the finals appearance at the Champions Cup last weekend, how do you feel about where you are right now in the world? Um, I think we are in a very good spot. Um, we started off at 18th and worked our way up to uh, third in the world. So I think that's a pretty big accomplishment for uh for this new team. Um, so very proud of the girls. They've worked very hard all season and um, on and off the ice. So, yeah, it's just been uh, it's it's been an awesome run this season. Obviously disappointing to have the, the Scotties up in Gimli end the way they did for your team, but how are you and your team able to take that experience and turn it into some positive momentum to finish off the last couple months of the season? Yeah, we definitely, um, that was a big disappointment for us. It was, uh, especially for me, at being in my um, hometown, it was uh, it was tough. But we put that aside, both that and the wild card game, and took some time off with our f- friends and family and um, for those month and a bit, um, and really came back with a fresh and open mind. We definitely played a lot early, and I think maybe that played a factor in us maybe being a little more fatigued in the middle of the season. Um, so definitely next season we're going to ha- revise our schedule a bit and just kind of um, play um, play a lot less game. <laughs> I guess was the idea behind that just to get used to each other to play as much as possible? Yeah, we, we wanted to play as much as possible so everyone could learn their new positions and uh, um, I think we did a, a really good job of that and um, yeah in the middle part we just got a little tired and but we came back and, and finished off the season on a on a high note. Winning the players is that the high note of the season? Yeah that is a high note and even coming out in Champions Cup I know we lost the final but uh, we really fought hard in both of those uh, spiels in the players, we got down a little early, and then we really picked it up and uh, fought back. And then same with um, in the Champions Cup, we we got off to a better start, and uh, each game in the playoffs, we were down a little early, um, but we never gave up, and we just kept fighting and making those shots. And um, even in the final, I had a shot to win. It was very hard, <laughs> but... Um, it was it was there, and we just missed it. But yeah, we we fought really hard that both weeks. And now there's something called the Arctic Curling Cup, uh, May 23rd to 26th. It's in Russia, and yeah. uh, and you're going to be there. <laughs> yes, um, we have never traveled anywhere like for Brianne and I for sure. But um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a bit of a challenge with time wise and. Uh, um, getting sleep and that kind of thing, but uh, definitely an awesome experience that we're looking forward to. And that brings me back to how we started. Just you're, It's going to be nearing the end of May, and you're still going to be curling. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm not even sure what the weather's going to be like or anything. But And Shannon, she's going to be in China, so she's going to meet us in Moscow. So she's going to do some touring after China and, and meet us there. Okay. So uh, yeah. before I let you go, I guess the important thing is for maybe some fans at home that are rooting you on, you didn't make the Scotties this year, and that's what a lot of people view as kind of the the pinnacle. But it is ultimately there's a learning process to a new team, and this was built for a four year run, right? Yes, um, this team was built for the next four years, and uh, we're going to continue working hard and uh, getting to know each other and um, build and grow as a team. And once the Arctic Curling Cup is done, I assume that's your last event for the year. That is our last event. <laughs> and then what does an off-season look like for Carrie Anderson? Is it uh, some rest? Um, Much-needed rest, yes. Rest and recovery and uh, spending lots of time with my family and going camping and um, really just enjoying uh, the break as well. Uh, we'll get together a few times during the season and uh, um, just uh, figure out our schedules and sponsors and stuff. And, um, yeah, just kind of relax in the off-season. Well, Carrie, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me, and best of luck at the uh, the Arctic Curling Cup coming up later this month. Perfect. Thanks so much. It's been a few months since we've checked in with local golfer Aaron Cockerell, in case you forgot, the Winnipegger qualified for the Challenge Tour in Europe, basically the second-tier tour what the web.com tour is to the PGA. And he just took part in a full-blown European tour event in Morocco earlier today. I caught up with Aaron. I began by asking him, where in the world is he right now? Um, Lograno, Spain. I, don't, I think that's how they say it. It's, it's in like North Spain. It's um, like an hour and a half away from a place called Bilbao. Okay. So how long have you been in Spain? Um, got here on Monday, so just a couple of days. Tournament starts tomorrow, uh, goes till Sunday, and then uh, on to the next one. <laughs> so it's been a few months since we've uh, caught up with you. How has the European Tour experience been so far? Uh, it's been awesome. Uh, I've played in three European Tour events. So I did one in Australia, one in Kenya, and then the last one last week was in Morocco. Uh, and I've had some... A little bit of success so far, so uh, it's been a good start to the year, and now I'm kind of starting up on the Challenge Tour. Okay. So, yeah, uh, let's go back to last weekend in Morocco. Uh, didn't make the cut, but what was that experience like for you? Uh, it was it was awesome. It was maybe one of the best golf courses I've probably ever played, TV Green. It was, it was really hard. Um, the scores were, were pretty high. Um, didn't play my best, but... I mean, it was you know it's a good experience, and um, it, it was it was cool to play in an event. That was probably the the biggest um, you know person and magnitude and size and scale and everything like that. It was um, there's a lot of European tour players there, and it, it was yeah it was a fun week. So when you're going into these European tour events, because just as a refresher, you're, you're in a select number of those, but your main qualification was on the Challenge Tour there. Do you have a set goal when you're playing in the the full-blown European Tour events? Are you trying to make the cut, or are you just going out there to just be out there? I mean, I yeah, I mean, just just play your best and see what happens. I think whatever I set expectations for myself and 
things don't, I don't know, you, you, you're just never going to be satisfied. So I'm just trying to just go out and play my best and see what happens. Um, yeah, I think I'll get into a few more European events, but kind of depending on how uh, I start off the year on the Challenge Tour will depend on what I do the rest of the year. If I'm doing good on the Challenge Tour, I will play pretty much strictly on the Challenge Tour to try and um, you know finish high on that money list and be in a good position to get status on the European Tour full-time next year. Um, I, I think I'll probably get into another, you know, five five or so events in the European Tour, but uh, I'm not sure if I'll actually play. It'll just kind of depend on my my status on the Challenge Tour at that point. So you mentioned the three events you've played in European Tour events. I I assume you've played in other events as well over that time stretch. Um, not any like Challenge Tour or European Tour sanctioned tournaments. No, I've played in some stuff in the U.S. Oh, okay. um, some events in Phoenix and stuff like that, but. The, this Challenge Tour schedule is is really starting up now. Um, there was an event last week in Turkey, but I opted to play the one in Morocco instead. Um, but now there's, I think, like 24 events in like 30 weeks or something like that. So um, this is kind of when the season's getting going. It's going to be a lot of golf in the next few months. So because you haven't been quite as busy, then have you been able to do a bit more uh, traveling, sightseeing kind of stuff? Um, I mean, I was in I was in Phoenix for a bit. I mean, no, I've I've kind of been on back on our side of the pond, uh, just kind of resting and getting ready for the year. Um, I uh, I was I was in Phoenix for a bit, and then drove back up to Winnipeg and stayed in Winnipeg for a week before heading over here. Um, I'm doing three weeks in a row over here. Then I'm going back home for two weeks, and then after that, I'm coming back and probably going to be over here for possibly the entire summer. <laughs> Has your body figured out how to adjust from the time zone changes yet? No. <laughs> I, I'd like to lie and say I figured it out, but I'm, I'm still feeling a little bit tired. And I've already been over here for nine days. Um, it's, it's just hard. I mean, it's, I, I, I thought I kind of had it figured out the first time, but, you know, it's you just got to try and get on that sleep schedule right away. And, um, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Have you been able to lean on your fellow Canadian and the European tour to help you out here, or is it kind of on your own? Uh, Austin and I stayed together last week in Morocco. Um, yeah, he's been good. His his, uh, his dad is awesome. He travels with him and caddies for him. Um, so kind of the three of us have been going to a couple places together. They've been over here for a couple of years now, so they you know know all the good places to go and what airport to fly into and just little things like that make it a little bit easier. So this event coming up is the, the style of golf, the golf courses they, are they quite different so far than what you're used to back in North America? Um, yeah, I'd say so far I've played three tournaments and, you know, having played a couple of practice rounds at this course this week, the, so far all the golf courses have been more challenging. Um, on the Canadian Tour, the winning scores are, you know, typically almost 20 under par. That's or three, four under par. It's just birdie fest every week. Um, and so far over here, it's it's kind of been the opposite. Where if, if you shoot under par, it's really a good round. It's just a little, little more narrow fairways. The rough's a little longer, um, and the conditions probably aren't quite as good. It's you know, it's usually a little windy, or this week it's supposed to be kind of cold. Um, just a little more challenging and shooting under par is, is 
you know, a better score over here, where sometimes at home on the Canadian tour, if you shoot one under, you're, you're getting lapped. But over here, if you shoot under par, it's usually around. As a golfer, is that more exciting to be challenged like that? For sure. I, I like that style. It's it's kind of frustrating when you shoot 69 or something like that in the Canadian Tour event and you're losing ground. It's <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, a little annoying. So, um, yeah, no, I, I love it. And I think that suits my style of game better, too. Um, I usually drive it pretty straight, so it kind of fits into my style. Now, you, you said you could be over there for the bulk of the summer. What kind of preparation do you need to do to be ready for that long stretch away? I think the biggest thing is just staying rested while I'm at tournaments. And um, I mean, people don't think golf is that taxing on your body, but when you're flying from country to country and you're walking 18 holes every day, um, you just kind of get tired. So um, just trying to make sure that I get enough sleep and keep in good good care of my body and just make sure that I'm feeling good. You know, I've, I've played a lot of golf over the years and and I know what my swing is going to be like and everything like that. So I think just making sure that I feel good physically is, is probably half the battle. Do you have some kind of like stretching routine, recovery routine? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do. And I try and do pretty much the same thing every time I play. Um, it's been a little bit more difficult over here, especially in Spain. Restaurants don't open until 8 p.m. Right. So yeah. um, try to, trying to go eat dinner and get to sleep early for an early morning tea time is a little more difficult. Um, but just, you know, little things like that, you just got to kind of roll with it and uh, do the best you can. So you said you've been in Spain since Monday. How has the country kind of away from golf been? It's beautiful here. We're, it's, we're kind of in a strange spot. It's um, There's not much around here. We're staying in a town that it's about 35 minutes away from the golf course and you drive pretty much up a mountain and then once you get to the top, you go down a little bit on the other side, and the golf course is over there. Um, it's uh, it's it's colder here too. Um, lots of mountains around. It, it almost looks like like Arizona in spots. Um, it, it, it's it's beautiful though. Um, been to Spain twice now, and I've loved it here both times. All right, Aaron. Well, uh, I'll let you go now. Get some sleep, and I appreciate you uh, talking to me tonight. We'll check in later on in the season. Yes, awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?